Hello and welcome to what is now becoming a recurring event, um, another midweek special brought to you by myself, Ant. And on the line, we have Phil. How are you doing? Hi there, Ant. I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, cannot complain. I mean, one, one can never complain after just a great sporting weekend on the rugby front. Yeah, for sure. First, first ever rugby championship for the Springboks. It's always exciting. Um, something yeah. new to add to the trophy cabinet. And seeing well, the All Blacks, yeah, seeing the All Blacks as flawed as they are, also it's a little bit encouraging for the World Cup. So I would say that's a double, double whammy of sorts. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's, it, I'm slightly worried because I, it just one can never really truly believe that the All Blacks are in a slump. But I mean, yeah, are they actually in a slump now? I mean, three relatively poor performances in a row. For sure. Um, I don't quite know what to make of it. Is, is Steve Hansen just playing 40 chess and suddenly on <laughs> the World Cup he's just going to blow us out the water? I, uh, I'm not yeah. sure what to make of I can't quite yeah. believe they are really actually out. And it seems like they've almost just run out of time. Like there's so little time in, before now, between now and the World Cup that it's, there's no more time to like really do anything else. So unless this has happened at the perfect time for them and they do somehow manage to make the changes that they need. But, it's looking a bit scary for them. And like in contrast, Springboks, as we said last time, are just like peaking at the right time, looking good. And I think people are starting to get cautiously optimistic. Uh, but like you say, New Zealand can never be written off. So let's, let's not go too far. Yeah. I think the key word there is cautiously, which I'm quite stoked about. I think people are getting belief, but we're still being tempered by the last couple of years of. 57 yeah. old rubbers where we're not quite, you know, in a, yeah, sure. our house is green just yet, but you know, we, we're on the path where we, you know, not riding off our chances, which is nice. Um, that's weirdly enough, I think Australia is starting to turn that corner as well. Um, granted it was, yeah. you know, it's one win, but they beat Australia, Argentina, sorry, last week as well. So, yeah, um, that's fair. I suppose just, just as everyone has kept been saying, um, this is turning into, probably the most competitive World Cup ever. Um, we were looking at the rankings in the group today and some of the permutations after this weekend, kind of half the teams in the top six can end up first um, and New Zealand could end up as low as sixth. So there's a that is huge crazy. amount of um, yeah, shuffling that can be done in the rankings. The top six are all just so close to each other in points. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's going to be really, really exciting leading into it. Yeah, and I mean, I think based on that, you can say legitimately and probably for the first time ever that all six of those teams have a chance, even if it's uh, not that big of a chance, but the biggest chance they've ever had of actually winning the whole thing. Uh, New Zealand, if they somehow, if those permutations happen and they go down to six, I think that will be like a national disaster. I don't think they've ever been six in the world at their best sport, so... We can hope and we can see what happens. Not that I hate New Zealand. It's just it's nice to see, you know, sometimes the best team in the world just, you know, look a bit more like the rest of us. Yeah. I think the scariest thing is just how quickly they would have fallen. You know, in two weeks gone from potentially, you know, first to sixth, which is quite scary. Um, yeah. But again, it just shows how small the margins are at the top of the table at the moment. Um, yeah. As you say, the, the top six all have very, very strong realistic chances of winning. And then... You know, either, even teams like Argentina, Scotland, they've, they're outside chances, but it's not, wouldn't be impossible. Um, yeah, they're not just going to make up numbers, for sure. No, very much so. 
Um, but on that note, should we dive into this week's feature? Um, yeah. In that there are two big, big games of the weekend and a couple of smaller ones, um, those being Australia versus New Zealand and England-Wales. We thought we'd like sure. to take a, a, a check. We'd like to check out the match stats um, to try and challenge or potentially confirm the, the stereotypes of Northern Hemisphere rugby being low scoring, boring, and Southern Hemisphere rugby being all about flashy tries being scored. So by comparing the stats between particularly the Australia-New Zealand and the England-Wales game, we'd like to see just how relevant that stereotype is um, a couple of months out from the World Cup. Yeah, and I think um, before we start on the stats themselves, I, I guess it's it's worth mentioning that, of course, New Zealand got a very early red card, and that may skew our stats just a little bit. But at the same time, I think that it was already a pretty open game before that, and it carried on being so. And um, I think while it may have changed things, uh, it's still our stats will still show us very much the way that the game was going. I mean, Australia were looking really good before Barrett got sent off. They were making a lot of decent runs with the ball. And on the other side, uh, the England-Wales match for Northern Hemisphere conditions looked really good, so they were able to play a bit more... Um, a bit more running rugby, a, a bit less of just territory-based kicking off the 10 or the 9. So they did get to show a little bit more of what they can do with ball in hand. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's, that's carried through in that, I mean, there was six tries scored in the game, which um, without any statistics backing this up, I would say is relatively high for um, a Northern Hemisphere match. Right. So, yeah, yeah, you want to jump straight into it, take us through attack and defense, and then we can start sure. on the high-level so, stuff and back up with some of the more peripheral stats as we go. Yeah, okay, great. Um, so, as you said, six tries in the game between England and Wales, three each. If we compare that to Australia and New Zealand, we saw ten tries. Um, and, of course, Australia scored six. New Zealand scored four tries, and they only had 35% of the ball. So, even though we've all been writing them off and saying how... You know how bad it's looking for them. Four tries with only 35% of possession. Um, it just makes you think, yeah, they really just don't need more of the ball. So if they do manage to shore that stat up, the possession stat, um, they could be a lot more dangerous, especially next week. Um, just touching on that quickly, the England-Wales possession stats were a lot more even. England actually had less. They had 47% possession to Wales. was 53. So um, maybe, I mean... They both scored three tries each, so that's a bit more telling. Then in terms of meters carried, um, interestingly, all three teams other than Australia were very similar. So New Zealand had 14, 492, England 497, and Wales 522 meters carried, while Australia had 703. So obviously 200 meters more than any other team is quite telling. And um, the combined... Meters carried, obviously, a lot higher in the Australia-New Zealand match. Uh, and wow. that also translates into just carries. So number of carries in the match is also a lot higher into in the Australia-New Zealand game. Sorry, Ant, you wanted to say? I was just going to say, um, tying it back to the possession stats, is that, as you said, New Zealand's carried similar number of meters uh, to England and Wales, but they did that with almost half the possession. So they right. carried significantly more effective. And if you look at the number of carries in terms of counts, New Zealand 123, England 119, Wales 136. Again, relatively similar number of carries. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, they're doing that. They're carrying far, far, far more um, with the set, with a lot less uh, possession. Um, yeah. And I suppose tying into that is the number of kicks in play. Whereas in Southern Hemisphere game, Australia, New Zealand, 12, 15 um, kicks. Whereas England, Wales, 24, 19. So 50, right. uh, 63% more kicks um, in the, in the Northern Hemisphere game. Yeah. Um, yeah, which suggests that their, their first option is, is more to focus on, on territory rather than trying to run the opposition off their feet. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think it shows where they do, they obviously, like you said, kicks and play is much higher territory and position a lot more even. And if that's just incredibly important, whereas Australia and New Zealand, we obviously know territory and position are Important, but we also saw, for example, you know, when South Africa won in New Zealand, um, it's not all about possession. It doesn't always translate into a win and even meters carried and those stats. So this weekend, of course, while Australia dominated meters carried and possession and translated that into tries, um, it's still scary almost to see how potent New Zealand were with just 35% possession. So I'm very interested to see what happens this weekend, whether lots of players are rested or not, just to see what difference the teams make. I think both teams will probably still go for their strongest team. I think Australia have got such a good opportunity now to try and take the Bledisloe back for the first time in, what, 17 years or something ridiculous? Yeah, I think Adam was saying 2003, so it's crazy. And New Zealand can't afford to have another loss, especially on yeah. the They're going to have to go out full guns blazing. So um, I suppose that's a, a something Australia could do. They could feel the B team. Then yeah, but I think, I think they're going to go they for it. Back and just say, you know, we've still got the higher ground in terms of uh, yeah. confidence. I think with an opportunity... I mean, I, I, I think I saw some of the Australian sites running polls and on, like... um whether they'd rather win the Bledisloe Cup or the World Cup. And, I mean, just having that poll sounds ridiculous to me, but I think it was actually quite even in terms of the response. So it obviously means a lot more to them than I think I can even comprehend just what it means to win back that Bledisloe Cup. So uh, on that on that case, I guess they're going to really go for it, yeah. Yeah. No, the Bledisloe definitely does mean a lot. And the fact that Steve Hansen said that that is their priority outside of the World Cup this year. They don't really care about the rugby championship. Um, right. You know, as much as we lambaste them for always having three Bledisloe Cup games in a year, um, particularly when New Zealand just walk it. <laughs> um, it is obviously something very, very important to all of them. Far more than, say, the Nelson Mandela Challenge plate or whatever it is we've got. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like they've made... Because I think there's one between every single team now and they all seem pointless. And so, <laughs> they, to me, they're a waste of time. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just uh, Lidisloe and the Calcutta Cup, which is uh, England yeah. and Scotland, are really fun. Exactly. And it's known for being like the oldest, I think, so it's got a bit more relevance. Um, let's move on to defence stats then, uh, quickly. So, number of tackles sort of uh, translates loosely to how much possession the other team had, I guess. So Australia made the fewest tackles. They had 110. New Zealand, 198. And then England and Wales, very close on 142 and 140. But then in terms of the tackle percentages, interestingly, Australia had the lowest on 79% um, compared to New Zealand's 84%. So again, it's not that New Zealand didn't 
or had a terrible defense that they conceded six tries, which was other factors. And then England and Wales, 85% uh, tackle percentage and 82%. So all pretty similar in those stats, in the defensive stats. Yeah, I'm surprised by Wales stat being the second lowest there. As a team that prides himself on defensive um, ability. Sure. That's kind of been their, their thing that they've won games on in the last couple of years is they're quite happy to just let you run at them all day long yeah. because they know that they're not going to concede um, points through it. So obviously England managed to get around that and found a way to exploit it. Um, yeah, the 31 missed tackles from Wales is uh, is not the greatest thing. So yeah, like we said, 82% against England. Who are not exactly renowned for their... <laughs> yeah. Last, that's, maybe that's a bit unfair. The last the last six months, or um, they've really upped their attacking game. They're starting to spread the ball a bit wider. Um, That's true. That's and they always in a New Zealand or Australian league of ability to you know break defenses down through yeah. clearing it. Play. That's true. That's true. Um, and they do have Billy Vudnipola, who looked very good on Sunday too. Um, he was looking like he was very very motivated. So I'm quite interested to see how he goes coming the World Cup. I think that he, physically, he's one player who really will be able to stand up to, you know, the Springboks physical game. So if if South Africa and England should cross paths, that will be quite a tasty battle to see. Very much so. Um, and the English game plan does revolve very much around him particularly and the go forward he can generate. Um, yeah. Which is why I suppose I'm less worried about playing England because they've got a Billy vote of Punapola, but we've got six forwards that can tackle him backwards. That's um, true. Yeah. And I'm quite comfortable to let him run at us. You know, even yeah. Puff, you're never going to forget. No one will forget Puff driving him, what, 10 metres back off in attacking five-yard scrum. So exactly, I'm, yeah. I'm not too scared about big ball carriers running at us. That's something I think we are very, very well equipped to deal with. Um, across the park, we've got very strong defenders that have got a lot of mass behind them. Yeah, and I think even historical precedents have shown, like, he, believe Unipola has struggled to make that much of an impact against the Springboks. It's like, like you say, it's one area where we can seemingly, at least in the past, we'll see if he has any tricks up his sleeve, but like counter what he offers. So, yeah. Um, shall we look at the set plays? Um, the yep. different steps from the weekend. So, the set plays, the lineouts in the Australia New Zealand game were very, very accurate. Australia had 10 lineouts and lost one, whereas New Zealand only had four. I think that sounds like a, it's very, very low for any, any game, let alone this one. So that, Australia probably just didn't kick the ball out at all. Yeah, exactly. They, I think they, especially I guess, with territory not to try and kick it out. Yeah. And at the same time, neither team lost the scrum, so both had 100% uh, wins on their own scrum. And not a lot of scrums either. Australia only had three of their own, and then New Zealand had six. So if we compare that to the England-Wales game, well, uh, England had nine scrums, but Wales only had two also. So the 11 in total, just two higher than the um, the first match, with both the 100% scrum, scrums one percentage. And then there were slightly more lineouts too in that game. So England won six lineouts, losing one, and Wales won ten, losing two. So both 
of their line-out wins were in the 80% percentages. Um, even though it's just one and two each, you never want to sort of start... I mean, I think South Africa generally lose, on average, one or two a game, and people go crazy whenever, you know, Marx loses a line-out and say that it's like the world is ending. So it's not <laughs> great even just to lose... You know, even though it looks like one line out, if you only have seven line outs, it's not a yeah, good stat. No, exactly. Um, and I think it, looking at it from a percentage wise, it is important because if you do lose that defensive line out on your own line or you had attacking line on the five yard, that's a huge moment in the game. Um, yeah. It only takes one missed line out to, to really kind of be a swinging point in the game. Um, so yeah, given the tall timber that England has at, the, at their disposal, they'll be quite upset, I think, with that that percentage. And also Wells with, I mean, one of the better locks around than Alan Wynne-Jones. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the scrums one percentage is quite surprising. Um, that all four teams, I mean, it's, it has been, I suppose, a, a area where Australia, Australia have really, really grown um, over the last year or two is their front row. Um, yeah. I think they've developed very good depth there. And they suddenly, that's what's well, always been a traditional weakness for them. So they've suddenly got a, piece, uh, a position of strength. Um, when yeah. you compare that to New Zealand, I think Owen Franks and Joe Moody, people are starting to, yeah, I think where, where they previously were regarded as untouchable, I think they, they're coming into question a lot more in terms of their work rate around the park. Their scrumming is, is not the rock solid foundation it used to be. Um, and I yeah. think, Come a World Cup game, I think that's somewhere where the Springboks, who, as we've shown, have an incredible front row and depth, will really yes. look to pressure the All Blacks. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know necessarily what's happened to Moody and Franks. I don't like. I know they had very sort of stop and start Super Rugby seasons. They didn't. The Crusaders had uh, lots of other options who they were playing. Um, but like you say, they used to almost be untouchable, and now. You don't really see them with ball in hand or even making that many tackles. Um, and their scrum, scrummaging has been not bad, but it hasn't stood out either. And, uh, meanwhile, you know, obviously Argentina don't have a strong scrum, but the South, like you said, the South African front row is just looking like it's, um, like it is untouchable. So this is all very good. Yeah. No, it's, it's encouraging for us. I think. Going back to a place of set piece dominance is something South Africa needs to have. Um, and it's encouraging that we are making our way back towards that. Um, I like having the reputation that we have a fierce, fierce and scrum. <laughs> For sure. It makes a big difference, even just the reputation. Like, um, I know obviously referees generally do know what they're doing. But not always. <laughs> any, any little sort of, um, advantage you can get. So if you have a better reputation, then you know, that may plant a seed of doubt in the referee's mind if it's more of a 50-50 decision. So the reputation is huge when it comes to scrums, I think. Very, very much so. Um, yeah, so it's, on that front, as you said, it's good that we're kind of building that reputation. Um, yeah. If we skip along quickly to discipline, it's very interesting to see the relative um, penalties in the two oh. games. Again, in the England-Wales game, very even penalty count, 8-7, 8-7 um, England and 7 uh, to conceded by Wales, whereas in the Australia-New Zealand game, all penalties conceded by Australia to the eight of New Zealand. So New Zealand yeah. were obviously infringing a significant amount off the ball um, or in their, in their defensive plays. 
which and they always get yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's the New Zealand way is to relieve pressure away by giving away penalties, kind of break the yeah. attacking momentum, give concede three rather than conceding a seven. Um, yeah, so that's that's potentially another thing that teams can look at to target them is, is starve them of the ball and force them in the in the defensive position to commit errors, maybe concede yeah. a red card. Exactly. And, I mean, it's not always going to happen, but I think in these two games, like, the penalties conceded sort of align quite a bit with the possession stats. So, obviously, obviously you can concede penalties on your own ball, but it's probably more likely that you'll give away a defensive penalty, whether it's offside or trying to win a turnover or something like that. So not running away. There's, yeah, there's a lot more things you can infringe on. I mean, the penalty laws definitely favor the attacking team. Um, sure. And yeah, so therefore, I mean, it goes a little bit against the often bandied logic of play with less possession to win. But that's only if you can maintain your discipline when you're defending. Um, conceding double amount of penalties is your position, even though eight is not a huge number. Um, for example, in the, the South Africa Argentina game, South Africa conceded ten penalties, which is more than any of the other teams this weekend. Yeah. Um, apart from Argentina, who conceded thirteen. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it really just was a scrappy match, despite South Africa scoring five tries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think most people are suggesting. I don't think if everyone would, anyone would say that it played out the way that it, the scoreboard looked. Um, it yeah. was much. It was a bit. It was a lot scrappier. It was a lot closer. And I think there were a couple of just well-executed players from our from the Springboks that kind of won us the game. Um, you know, there's the Capitalizing on the strong run from Mostert, say, um, yeah, that quick turnover that went wide, um, that's what led to Colby's try. There was a couple of small sure. moments where we were very clinical, um, and that's basically, I suppose, where South Africa score their points. So it's something that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and it's good that we're demonstrating that when we get these small opportunities, we are able to capitalize on them, um, and score. Interestingly, just, um, in comparison, there was the, the possession stats were the same uh, in the Australia-New Zealand game and the South Africa-Argentina game. Argentina having 65% and South Africa 35%. Right. So yeah. it just again goes to show that if you're clinical with the little possession you have, um, you know you can still dominate the side on the scoreboard. Yeah, and I think South Africa are starting to feel very comfortable giving the other team more possession and forcing them into those mistakes and turnovers and playing off that and obviously when you have guys like Peter Steff and Franco Mostert who can tackle all day long you are sort of happy to let them run at you to an extent. Yeah and just to highlight that um, South Africa had the highest tackle percentage count this weekend, 24 missed tackles out of 156 maids with 87% um, they also yeah. had the best breakdown accuracy of 98.8% um, rucks, we only lost one ruck in the entire game and that's with Augustin Creevy and Pablo Matera on the opposite side, both players renowned for their ability over the breakdown. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's proving that we are very clinical with the ball that we've got, um, and we're very comfortable without it to, yeah. you know, just let players run at us all day long and we're going to not make sure, we're going to not let you break our line unless you suck in three defenders and the has to mark three players by the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, that seems like the easiest way to, get around the South African defence, but um, it's also easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand managed it once in a game. Argentina managed it once in a game. So, you know, yeah. we, I'm, I'm quite happy with us con- conceding an average of one try a game. 
Exactly. Um, you're back. The way attack is going, we can score two or three ourselves. So, And Pollard's going to kick everything in range. Yeah. So, shall we make our conclusions then? <laughs> Based on the two matches which we focused on. Um, you, yeah, you gave the preconceptions before we started. Do you think that these games then um, confirm those or reconfirm those? Or are you seeing things differently? I think the tactics um, are still closely, closer aligned to the stereotype. Um, sure. For example, the kicks in play. Yeah. Um, way that they, the, the, the teams go about it, the possession stats, suggest that Northern Hemisphere teams are still inherently a bit more conservative. Um, but if you start looking at the some of the deep, deeper numbers, if you look at the number of rucks, the number of carries, the number of meters made, defenders beaten, I think the teams are or teams' approaches are definitely narrowing. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I don't think the stereotype holds nearly as strongly today as it potentially did 10 years ago. Yeah. And especially if you even look at, like, we did highlight that missed tackles percentage. Um, one of those notions is that Southern Hemisphere uh, players in general are just not as interested in tackling. But those stats are all very similar. And even New Zealand's uh, tackle percentage is higher than Wales's. So I don't think that's anything which really holds much water. Definitely. Um, yeah, look, I think the, the the statement that defense wins matches, I think everyone's very on board with that. And sure. I don't think you can consider yourself a top-tier team if you're not putting a significant amount of time into your defense. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... It, it, I definitely think that the, the approaches between the two hemispheres are, are narrowing. Um, the premiership might be a bit more grindy than super rugby, but I think when it gets to test rugby, teams generally are a lot more similar. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw, like, even the most recent South African-New Zealand game wasn't exactly a free-flowing affair. Um, it was very intense and uh, very cagey and all of that. So I heard, I remember some people saying it was even, you know, more... Northern Hemisphere like, but maybe from both sides it's sort of condensing closer to a median point. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, and I think that yeah, when teams are up against a, a team that they know they really have to perform against, it's just natural for them to move a bit, to play a bit tighter, play it a bit more safe. Um, yeah. And I think South Africa, New Zealand proves that that. Both teams kind of don't want to risk making a mistake because they know the other team can capitalize. Yeah. I, I will say that I think um, on their day, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and even Argentina, I think um, on their day, they all have sort of more exciting backs to offer. And more they, as we saw with Australia this weekend, when things are clicking, they... They can just um, run any team off their feet. I think if Australia are playing as well as they can, they can meet England and their backs can sort of run riot if they just get that bit of spark, which makes them, you know, they just have such exciting players. And I, I would go as far to still say that Southern Hemisphere players are generally more exciting than their Northern Hemisphere counterparts, especially obviously in the backs. I would definitely agree with that. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think too many people would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I hope yeah. at least. Um, watch, we're going to get, get a whole bunch of email complaints and the intern can deal with them. 
Um, yeah, exactly. Well, and North Carolina's. Um, yeah, but I think on that note, we can kind of wrap it up there. Um, For sure. We've made or potentially haven't made the point that we were trying to. Um, yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the different teams approach because I think it was something that they mentioned on the on the pod on the weekend that the Northern Hemisphere teams are doing their warm-ups. We're doing our warm-ups in the South and, you know, we, neither teams have met each other in a year. Suddenly yeah. there are going to be these clashes of styles uh, potentially at the World Cup, which is just going to be very, very exciting to see how the teams have tracked over the years. Yeah, and for the most part, it will only be in the quarterfinals too, because, you know, New Zealand are playing South Africa, obviously, and England have France in the same group. So a lot of the big clashes will only take part in, like, the do-or-die playoff environment. So it's all very exciting. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm very, very jealous that you're going to be there to witness it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Um, well, yeah, thanks for making some space in the middle of your week. Um, yeah, and thanks for having us. Always a pleasure.